Hey everyone, welcome to Reality TV Rehap Ups for Amazing Race Canada, Season 7, Episode 3, in which teams traveled to Edmonton, Alberta, and arranged some flowers, and went to an antique mall, did a puzzle, wrote a funicular. It was an action-packed day, and I'm sure that Dan Heaton and I are going to have plenty to talk about. Dan, how are you? I'm doing good. You know, I, I just watched the episode again. I'm feeling really on top of it. You know, I have to be careful that I don't get forced to go the wrong direction and not be in this podcast. But I, th- I think we're here. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always the risk that somebody's going to tell you that you have to do some other podcast. And then, you know, where would you be then? Yeah, I don't I don't know where I would be. I just know that I will say the phrase double blind one way does not have the same nice ring to it or even we got one weighed does not have the same ring to it as you turned i will say it it definitely does not so do you want to just start there dan i feel like the top story of the evening is we have a brand new race feature and honestly this whole leg and we'll get into it this whole leg was really kind of eh but this was like the most eh thing on top of the entire eh leg Yeah, it's interesting because like we kind of circled around what it was last time. We were more focused on roadblocks, but we kind of we were pretty close to it. And I think we're going to see this again, too. The fact that they made it blind this time also makes me think that they're going to do it again, not blind later. But part of me likes it. Part of me thinks this is a task or a new device that could lead to interesting things where the racers really need to learn more about other teams. However, when the detours are extremely unbalanced, just does this task work when the detours are not close at all? Well, I think motive is a lot of what I had issues with when it comes to the double blind one way, because I don't believe that this was production thinking, hey, this is a brand new, great new twist that everybody's going to be excited about. Production was thinking, well, crap, what are we going to do in Edmonton? Oh, well, here's what we could do for a detour, but everybody's going to go on the funicular and do the puzzle unless we make some of the teams do the other one. And they already had two teams two and a half hours ahead so you turning somebody is kind of unsporting so i feel like they just invented this because their leg design sucked there i said it yeah i think i think that may be possible because you think they've been to edmonton before in amazing race three and i know edmonton is a big city it's gorgeous there were some really cool shots from the funicular however i don't know if that's enough it's You know, I think they do try to, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm just saying, I think they do try to introduce kind of new spins on things and make things their own. So I think they were trying to do that partially. But there's also the factor, too, of you want to use, you know how we've talked about in the past when they do limited stations detours, too, Mm -hmm. where they're really trying to make sure that both detours get used. And this could be also a situation where they set up a device in the race that is another way to make sure teams go to both because it wasn't like they didn't know much. They had a situation because you could make it more interesting by giving teams just really basic info. And and just or just giving them the name and doing it, which would then create more randomness. But in this case, teams, every team who looked at it, even ones who didn't use it, looked at it and went, well, I'm not going to go to that to the dance one, which wasn't the hardest dance task we'd ever seen, but was definitely harder. So 
this hopefully this is a case where if they use this again, they will find a better way. Because again, we talked about last week too. The leg was okay. They did okay tests. It was fun because I liked the teams. Similar here. I enjoyed some of the teams. Do we start getting nervous about the season at this point or are we too early? You know, Dan, I think we're too early. I think this part of the race is never a total barn burner. It's just like we've we've got the kickoff. The first leg is always very exciting. They want to really get you hooked and they want to bring in all the teams and you have a lot of chaos. You have a lot of teams running around. You have somebody make fatal mistake. The first couple of legs are always kind of exciting in that aspect. And then you you sort of hit a lull right around this time. It's usually right around the time of the first non-elimination leg. It starts to get a little, it loses a little momentum. I think that's to be expected. But even over and above that, I feel like this leg was really phoning it in. And honestly, I could be in the deep minority on this because it seems like every Edmontonian that I ran across on the internet is thrilled with this leg. They're happy with how their city was showcased. They said these are great tasks. They're emblematic of the experience of coming to Edmonton. And so if they're happy with it, maybe I'm complaining too much, but I feel like this leg was just really a lot of the things that people thought about were not terribly thought through. I think this really unbalanced detour being kind of the worst offender in that regard. But to your point, I think that I don't think we need to be worried that this means something about the whole race. I think that we can certainly recover. And I think I don't even think I want to write off the one way as a terrible idea right away, right out of the gate. I mean, it seemed to have it seemed to have okay results this leg. I think it made for some interesting drama. It did compel people to do the other detour, although some teams did choose the other detour. I want to I want to point your attention to the fact that when they rolled out the face off, it was really badly executed the first couple of times we saw that. And it took a while for that to gain some momentum. And by about the third or fourth time they saw it, we had kind of figured out how it was supposed to work. And the teams had some actual excitement over it. And there was some action. It added something great to the race. It was so great, in fact, that U.S. copied it. So maybe we need to see this one way come back. And as you said, I think it is almost certainly going to come back this season. We'll see it again. And then we can kind of evaluate after we've had a couple of trials with it. Yeah, I agree. And I think this is one of those situations where I try to pull out the one way and look at it there and then look at the leg because it's easy to rope it all together and say, wow, everything's bad. And I don't want to say bad. I Phoning it in is actually a better phrase than bad because bad would imply that I found it not entertaining to watch completely. And I still, there were moments that made me laugh and that I thought, you know, I liked the excitement from some of the teams and there were some silly moments. But if we're talking leg design, it's a different story. But I guess the one way itself, before we move on to kind of the, because there's other things about this leg that are problematic, but um, the one way itself, can I mean, is the only problem the detours were unbalanced or is there something is there a flaw in the one way? Because that's why I'm just curious if you think it's an interesting twist. Is it an interesting thing to do? Well, I think it is an interesting thing to do. And you've highlighted some of the reasons why it might be interesting. But I think where it is at this point in the race and with these tasks, I don't think it's terribly interesting. I think where it will be more interesting is at the point where these teams all know each other and think they have a good idea of what each other is good and bad at and are able to evaluate what they think the other teams would stumble on. 
And I think right now nobody knows anybody well enough to say, oh, I think this team would do well at this thing or this thing. I think it was just like, oh, well, this part is really hard for everybody. So we'll make everybody do the thing that's really hard for everybody. I want to see something where there's a lot more nuance, where you're looking at you're looking at like David Arena and you're saying, okay, do we think that they will be able to paddle kayaks together or should we make them go plant 40 trees in a row? And I think at that point, when you're when you're relying on the racers to have an opinion of other teams instead of just being in the moment like, oh, who's behind us? Who's behind us? Let's make them do the hard thing. That's basically just like a nerf U-turn. And right now, all this is, is the nerf U-turn. And because we've had the U-turn, because the U-turn is such a meaner thing to do to somebody, it doesn't feel like it has the punch that it could. But I think if there's real strategy behind it, and it really is a hard decision to decide what what detour to make people do, I think that will be interesting. Right. Like if you think if you if the detours are both hard in different ways, like you think about the recent U.S. season where they had a, they had one, a few that were the detour, both sides, one where they were in the raft and they had to memorize something versus just trudging through the water. And that's just the first thing that came to my head as an example of two hard detours or there's a lot of examples like that where it, it would come down to it, especially when there's like six teams, because right now teams like you look at it and yes, Sarah and Sam chose Jill and, and Sean because they finished third and they were, but they were also just kind of thinking, I think they're behind us. I think that's the only reason that Lauren and Joanne made their choice because they assumed the team was behind them. And then it doesn't come down to what they can do. Like you said, it comes down to, and I'm now just repeating what you just said, <laughs> people that are behind them. So, but I just want to repeat it because it's a good point because that's sometimes the problem with that's I think what this is trying to solve for in a way is to one, it doesn't make you do two detours, which generally just destroys teams chances. Like in mo in many cases, if a team gets double U turn, you're you're basically especially if there's this many, you're saying you two, the two teams that we did are going to be last and second last, which is actually what happened this week. But they were still all right in it, pretty much doing the flowers or at least the last few. So it's a bit different. I think the real issue here is probably more than the one way is the thing they did with the flights, which I found mm -hmm. just really dumb. And then just having a pretty easy roadblock overall. I know the teams might disagree, but overall, a pretty easy roadblock. And like you said, a really easy detour. And then one more thing, which was kind of funny, but didn't seem to have it had a little bit of an impact, but not a huge one. But I, I, I'm jumping ahead. I think we could probably start with the, with the airline thing. We could. But there's one more thing I want to bring up about the one way before we move on. And that is, did you think it was weird how very little fanfare there was around this? Like on U.S. Amazing Race, they roll out a new challenge or no, some kind of new twist. Phil is right there to be in your face explaining that this is the first ever time we've seen it. And here's how it works. And in this one, this felt like, oh, have they done this before at some point? Because it was a very rote explanation and nobody acted surprised to have seen it. And nobody acted confused about how it worked. Yeah, that's right. And actually, the teams were explaining what it was and what the like. we had Arthi and Tanesh basically explaining. She was explaining the pros and cons of everything. And I even thought I'm like, they really primed these teams on these tests before the season started, because, yeah, it did. There wasn't the unknowing thing. Teams were really treating it like they I think maybe they got a really good primer, but it wasn't there wasn't that. And I wonder wonder why that is, because you're saying when they did the face off the first time. 
though it was a disaster that first face off <laughs> in um in a great kind of ridiculous way, different than this, but they did make a big deal in the previews. And, you know, I know they had that shot in the preview of last week of teams coming up and then they did sell it in their previews. Like, what are Lauren and Joanne going to do? Which kind of gave away who was going to use it. But in the, I agree. they It wasn't pushed as much, which could be... <laughs> could be just given that it didn't have as the results they wanted they don't really want to push it in the edit as much i don't know yeah or i mean if amazing race us doesn't like a new twist they just cut it out of the season entirely so i'm gonna guess that they left it in because we're gonna see it again at some point um so it's not a total disaster. Maybe it starts to work better later on. But yeah, it really didn't feel like they wanted to shine a spotlight on it at all. Yeah. And they had time in this leg. This was not one of those legs that has five tasks and then they're going all over the place. It was barely. I mean, we had some room to breathe here. We spent a lot of time in that antique shop. So and even with the flowers. So there was room to make a bigger deal. This wasn't like even the premiere when you feel like you don't have a minute to breathe. There was room to breathe here. Yeah, there definitely was. And ironically, I was going to say that the one thing I think not working in the one way's favor is that there is a lot of nuanced strategy that would be associated with perfect use and perfect placement of it that maybe you don't always have time for when you're running the amazing race. And maybe that is what we're not going to see out of this that we would like to. Yeah. And I want to make one more point that I just thought of. I don't particularly love where they put it in the lake because you feel really all they did before that is they raced to the airport. Oh, and then they went to another spot to the source, to the mall. <laughs> they went to the mall. Got that. Yeah. Then went on there. So it all came down to how you got there. So there was a little skill, but I would have enjoyed flipping it or adding another task or flipping the roadblock. And I know it. I'm not talking about navigation and where things are and all that, but make it be more of a benefit. And, and especially, I mean, the top two teams didn't use it, but taking that aside, we'll get to that in a moment. But um, where they put it so early, it's kind of like our complaint about when the, the, the U-turn goes before you do the detour, which has happened on the U.S. version. Mm -hmm. Because, again, you don't require teams to do enough. So if this is powerful enough, which it is, as we saw this time, to change it, make teams really work to get that lead. And the only benefit really were the teams that used it we're probably 5, 10, 15 minutes ahead of the teams that didn't. And it really made a difference. Yeah, well, here, I'm going to I'm going to fix this for you, Dan. I think I've got it. I think I've figured out what we have to do, because this will address two things that we did not like about this leg. I mean, I'm assuming we haven't gotten to this part. So maybe you did like this, but I'm going to think you didn't because it was terrible. But what if <laughs> as soon as people ripped their clues, there was some sort of challenge they had to complete before they could go to the airport and get on the flights. So that way, the teams that came in first and second on the previous leg are not automatically the teams that are going to get that two and a half hour advantage over all of the other teams. And that way, you also have the incentive of if you get on that earlier flight, you're going to be the first people to the one way board. So there's some skill there. You have to actually achieve something in order to get that bonus. And it also increases the chance that the people from the first flight, if we have to have these two flights, which it's stupid that they were there in the first place. But if we do have to have two flights for logistical reasons, people on the first flight may actually feel compelled to think about using that one way, which in this instance, there was really no good reason to. No, they both were smart because if teams show up and they're third and they've 
they're going to know it's one of the top teams. You know you're two and a half, a leg that's probably not super long like this one. To have a two and a half hour advantage, it's, it's insane. It's just, I rarely, I mean, even the first leg, they put teams 30 minutes apart and they split them in half. And I thought, oh, that's fine. That's not a big deal. Teams slipped around. But here, that's such a huge deal. And like you said, yes, the show made a big deal about the teams that were third, fourth, fifth, that weren't that far behind getting to the board, but they really had no chance to get to the board. It was going to be the top two teams. So I like your idea because I feel like if you do that, if you put something else, which we've seen them do in the past where they have you do something and then go to an airport or, I mean, if you bunch them, it means nothing. If you're going to split the teams, basically they gave the top two teams a fast forward for this leg. Yep. I mean, one or two, flip it around, whatever. They basically got an ungiven fast forward by by the way this was designed. Yeah. And what if, you know, they know enough about the teams to know who is the team to beat. So say you're doing your pre-airport task, you beat Dave and Arena to the airport, you get on that earlier flight, there's some incentive there. Oh, they've gotten first and second in the first two legs. They're going to be serious threats. They're very intense and competitive. Let's throw a turtle shell in their path so that we can get further ahead and maybe even knock them out. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about how these kind of these things that we throw in people's paths to slow them down. The JL rules say you should never U-turn a team you're going to expect to see to see again. But in this instance, I think if you have a huge lead on a team that's a huge threat, there's got to be some wheels turning in your head. Oh, well, I could probably get rid of them. And again, that incentivizes the teams out in front to really seriously weigh using it. Yeah, it does. Which because... You have the two top teams that think they're the two top teams because they finished high last time, even though I know, you know, Dave and Arena are definitely looking to be one of the top teams. And Arthur and Nash are right there, too. And a lot of the other teams we don't really know because there has none of them have really been consistently. It's not like we have a team that was third twice. They've been all over the map. So, I mean, I think Sarah and Sam are the strongest of their main group, but they haven't finished so high that people think that. So you have a situation there where it's just, it's all messed up. I mean, I don't understand. I'm sure they had more reasons why splitting those teams made sense. It's, it's, um, and part of me doesn't mind if you don't bunch them completely every time. It's not like I'm saying they should have just said, okay, we all get to, everybody starts even. But generally, when you're going to put a task like this in place, this might have been a case where they should have. Mm -hmm. But again, you still got to find some way. I still don't like the idea because really, you saw Jill and Sean come out of the plane. They're like, man, we were in the back. And that's the only reason they they ended up. I mean, yes, that's not the only reason they got eliminated. There were some issues with one of their abilities to actually both of them to dance and sing. But it made a big difference. And I don't like things like that making that big a difference. And that comes down to leg design. Absolutely. Well, I think we've beaten this to death and we've gone down some interesting hypothetical rabbit holes. So, yeah, I think I think the two biggest flaws this episode were this new twist didn't turn out to be as twisty as it could have been. And also don't put teams on two flights hours and hours apart. That's just dumb. So let's let's go to the source for a minute because I want to talk about this Fitbit task because this is not the first step tracking device task that we have ever seen in Amazing Race history. And I want to know where you think it falls if we're talking about the Amazing Race Australia one where they had to try to match each other step for step or the U.S. one where they had to use their numbers to do a math problem. Where, where do you think this one falls? This was just kind of like, okay, 
I mean, the only thing that really came out of this for me was was watching the Nets just like try to do those big steps, which made me laugh. I mean, they didn't have any it didn't have any effect on the actual leg. It was just a way. I think it falls as far below those other ones. I had forgotten about that one in Australia. That one was really was cool. At least here it's kind of like. Okay, and I actually got confused because they eliminated Jill and Sean. And I was like, wait, we never found out who won that. And at the end, you had them all on the mat for the presentation of the, the gift card so so that Joanne could buy her laptop. But, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, again, I don't have a problem with sponsorship tasks. I know they keep the lights on. I know they're very important. And this is still better. This is not the worst example of a sponsorship thing ever. I just wish they would have gotten a little more creative with it than who does the fewest. And also, I can't believe they only had 5,000 steps. I get more than that just walking around in my normal day. It's like they're really worth a lot of walking here. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. Yeah, I, I have a Fitbit tracker in my phone and I I do 6,000 on a day where I'm not even that active. So this was a very short leg. Um, an interesting thing that a couple of different people pointed out is what if you have to do the dance task. Are you allowed to take the watch off while you're doing the dance task? And I admit I did not watch carefully enough to see if teams were wearing their watches while they were doing all the dance steps, because I feel like that would knock you out of the running anyway. That's got to add a lot of extra steps, wouldn't you think? I would think so. I mean, Lauren and Joanne won and they did not do the dancing, but I think they couldn't because if, if teams were dancing, you would have gone more than 5,000 steps. Like you, I mean, the teams that did it like, you know, five, I think six times was was Trish and Amy, plus all the practicing. It has to just be going through the like traveling, maybe because I even thought they would have done more just running through that garden. That's why I'm so thrown off by the number of steps. But I do think there had to be something about the dancing, because if I can't imagine it would be that low. And again, it kind of really spotlights. The, I mean, I know this is about getting a gift card. This is not about anything else, but it does spotlight the difference in the detours. We're going up and down the funicular almost was no steps at all, I would imagine, unless teams were like hopping around when they were doing the puzzle or something out of nervous energy. But in general, it would have been so like, you know, they would have 5,000 and some of the, you know, Geo would have 15,000 or something or I don't know, just it would be so off. Well, it also depends on how sensitive that watch is. It depends on if it yes. tracks whether you're moving your arms or if it's actually GPS connected. Well, I am sure that this Samsung Galaxy Watch Active smartwatch that all the teams received has to be the most accurate tracker in the history of accurate trackers. Available now at the source. <laughs> yes. Hey, um... I mean, they didn't spend too much time on it. I actually do appreciate, given that it didn't have an impact, that we didn't see a lot of teams talking about it. This is a case where I've seen other situations on various incarnations where the whole leg is basically teams talking about their steps. That didn't really happen here. I almost forgot until the end. I mean, there were a few cases where teams talked about it, but not really. It wasn't a big deal. So that's one plus, at least to me, that it wasn't. It didn't dominate the leg for something that was really just about getting another prize. Yeah, and I think it's fine. I think we've probably devoted more time to it than they did on the show. <laughs> so let's move on and let's talk about let's talk a little bit more about this detour. Um, we had Celebrate and Elevate. And, you know, I love a good task with a funtacular. Yes. <laughs> you know, that is one. And this is Elevate that I'm, that at first I thought, 
wow, that's really hard. And Dave and Arena were like, we've got to be really careful. We got to make sure that we only take one because you can only take one piece down and up. So to me, it seemed like something I thought at least some team would have a problem with it. And the show kind of yada yada it after the first two teams. And really, the biggest thing was just that one moment when the three teams were in the I'll say funicular. <laughs> I'm going to try and butcher <laughs> it. But um, and they kind of had a little awkward moment. But honestly, from what we could gather from the show, the fact that it was edited so quickly, it seemed kind of like pretty obvious once you did it, unless unless we're missing something based on limited time. Well, this was like the Spencer Bledsoe puzzle. I think it had like five pieces to it. So that didn't seem too bad. And it's not the world's slowest funicular either. It seemed like it was fairly short, all things considered, because, you know, Edmonton not exactly built in the top of the highest mountain in Canada. Alberta is kind of a flat province. Yeah. And I um I noticed, too, the way it was going up such a short distance, I'm like, Really? Couldn't they just put steps there? I mean, <laughs> this is a pretty recent funicular. It's not like, like you said, something from old Europe or something. But I watched and I was like, is that like 100 steps? I mean, it's probably more. But it is one of those things where it looks so modern, where it almost looked like something where somebody was like, wouldn't it be cool if we just had a funicular right there? And people are like, yeah, that is cool. And and granted, I enjoy it. We I we don't have a funicular where I live. So I think it would be amazing if someone just put one on a hill in St. Louis. But I do think it was pretty short and I don't know. It didn't look like the place was closed. I know later we saw some people walking by, but there was nobody riding that funicular. And it makes me wonder if they just closed it off for the show too. We're gonna get into this as well, but I think a lot of things that people visited today on in this leg were closed for the race, including this. Um because, well, and we'll get to, there are a couple of locations where I'm kind of like, well, why did they choose this one? And I realize now, oh, it's because they could close it to the public so that you didn't have a whole crowd of people with their phones out. Um, and that's basically it. But, you know, people in Canada really love the amazing race, possibly more than people in the U.S. do. So maybe it was the city of Edmonton going, well, you know, people plan whole vacations around stuff they see on Amazing Race. So we could just build a funicular here and people will come. I mean, personally, I've been to two different funiculars in two different countries that I first saw on the Amazing Race. So it's not impossible that I will someday go to Edmonton and ride on that funicular just because. Yeah, I mean, hey, if I went to Edmonton, you know I'm going and riding that particular and taking pictures like a, a dorky person. No offense to anyone who's done something like that. Um, but um, oh, Three different <laughs> countries, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I forgot about one. Oh, I did that with Amazing Race 7 when we went to London. I took a picture at the spot of the pit stop and I was just, I was like, oh, I'm here. This is big. So um, so I've even done that. And I have not traveled the world nearly as, as much as you. So, yeah, I, I like the idea. Also. Ratings for the Amazing Race Canada are up this season, at least for the premiere. So it's going to be around a while. I kind of like the idea of a big fan just spending, I don't know what these things cost, a few million dollars on a funicular. Yeah, that's that's canon now as far as I'm concerned. Like maybe Edmonton had a really, really good reason to have a funicular, but this is what I'm going with. Well, yeah. And after this is they've already had the Amazing Race Canada. Maybe they had such a great experience when the Amazing Race Canada went to Edmonton that they wanted to draw them back and they built this just to get the show to come back. I mean, maybe that's an easier way to do it than just throwing cash at them like Sudbury did. <laughs> I like it. It's a, it's a good idea. But um but yeah, the the task itself, I don't know. It's it's again one of those that sounded harder than it was. And luckily though, we did get to experience 
What I enjoy always, which is watching teams look silly while trying to dance and sing, which this wasn't like top five challenges of all time level, but um, there were a few fun moments with the with um, Celebrate, I think. Yeah, and it looked at least like some of the dance tasks, you really feel like the people doing the tasks are not having fun. And I never got that sense from this. The teams that chose to be there or the teams that were forced to be there, everybody made the best of it and came in with a smile on their face and they were happy to be connecting with the people and doing all the things. So even when it was challenging, I didn't get the sense that they wanted to kill themselves after hearing the song 50 times, as we've seen in some of the other more grueling dance tasks that we've seen in the past. Yeah. And that's kind of been a testament of the show. Even I think about last season where they went to the nightclub and did like the hip hop dancing and all that. Um, And this, this was, it's again, You have crowds of people. The crowd seemed to be enjoying it and it looked fun. And that's that's one thing I will say. I know we've we've been down. I feel like justifiably so on this leg, but I still appreciate the attitude of the teams and what they took to this because teams, when they got it, I mean, they're coming in. Megan and Marie chose the test. They were the one team that chose it was not one way into it. Came in, gave everyone high fives, had pretty good rhythm. And Trish and Amy struggled a bit, but they still were good sports about it, especially given Amy's challenges with with their he- hearing. So I think they did really well. And <laughs> and then there's Jill and Sean, which um, I don't know what to say about that. There was they both, and I don't want to. I'm not letting Sean off the hook here. It was not just Jill. Sean looked all over the map too. They were they were not a functioning team. Jill apparently has not been a dance instructor in his many jobs of his life. Yeah, it seems like uh, a true Renaissance man would have spent some time dancing in his youth, but they did eventually get it. And I think maybe that's the key. Maybe I don't think anybody had to try that task a hundred times like we've seen some of these tasks in the past. Yeah, I mean, even I think the ones we saw. I mean, they practiced forever. So they only did. I don't think they only tried it a few times from what we could tell. I do think the judges were a bit lenient there. I didn't get the impression. We talked, I think, last week or the week before about judging and how strict they are. The judging here seemed to be if you were basically on time and you kind of did the moves and dancing, not that the teams were bad, but I didn't get the impression the judging was the hardest ever, which probably helped to prevent that. Because as we saw, Jill and Sean looked pretty inept. And they still got got over to the antique mall when teams were there. So it didn't have a huge effect overall. At least they were there. Yeah. And maybe this task was not quite as unbalanced as it looked on its face. Uh, And maybe that's worth noting, because if it was really like the truly terrible option of the two options, then there would have been a bigger spread. Yeah, I agree. I think it made a difference only because the other task was so easy and that split it. But you already had two teams spread out from the flight. So you really had a situation where there were kind of two groups of three teams that were split by this task. So it made a difference, but the difference was probably half hour or something or, you know, not four hours between the teams or something like that. So it was fun. um, As far as this is the first dancing task we've really had. So I, and I don't think we're having one next week from what we could tell. So I guess the Amazing Race Canada is branching out from dancing to other things like putting together puzzles. Well, we can do a dance task every other leg and I won't be mad at it, but they, it's nice that they're diversifying, I guess, um, because 
if we're going to have some legs that are a little lackluster like this, at least we can eventually we'll have some more of this inept dancing to look forward to. I, I, I like it better when the dance task is a roadblock because then everybody, at least half of everybody has to do it. Right. We're here. If they hadn't had the one way, I get the impression Megan and Maria, the only team that would have done it. That's pretty much what would have happened because I don't think Trisha and Amy or Jill and Sean would have taken any part in it. And it does make me wonder, too, if that had just been that way, Megan and Marie probably go home, which even though they were very good at it, I don't think they're going to be faster than the puzzle. So the one way had an impact in a way, but maybe didn't lead to the intrigue that we perhaps wanted. But um, but I guess, yeah, then they went on. If we're ready, we can go on to going to find John Lennon or John Cena or somebody else named John. <laughs> there's there's lots of Johns in the world. I, I can see where that would be confusing. Although most of the Johns that we were erroneously finding in this task all spelled their name with an H. So you know what? That's reading comprehension. That's all on y'all. Um, but yeah, and I'm going to point out, they went to two different malls in this episode and they were in Edmonton and they did not go to the mall that's like the thing that Edmonton is known for. And I think this goes back to if you're going to do a leg of the Amazing Race in Edmonton and you're not going to go to the West Edmonton Mall, I guess that's probably got to be because they don't want to have to shut down the world's largest mall. Yeah, I mean, the largest mall in North America, that's there's got to be a source in that mall, right? <laughs> there's probably like six of them. <laughs> I mean, they got a water park. They got all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's it's crazy. They could have done. They could have gone and played adventure golf there. <laughs> Not that I'm trying to tell them they should go do things at malls, but yeah, I think I agree with you though. I think there's like a hundred things they could ride the roller coaster and read a clue. Oh, I'm just thinking of tasks that weren't that exciting from past seasons of the Amazing Race, <laughs> but um, you know, go to the Ice Palace. See, now I'm just reading the Wikipedia page. This is this is getting too transparent. I actually i I've been to this mall. Um, it was like 25 years ago, but it, it had quite an impression. But I, I think the main reason that we did not go there is because if you think about Amazing Race US this past season, they were in London and everybody knew who the final four teams were because they did a task in a very public area and the cameraman couldn't even get a shot that didn't have six people in the background, their phones out. So I can see where if you're going to film tasks of the Amazing Race, you're going to have to shut down any kind of indoor venue you're at or people are just going to mob it. So I'm going to say that the old Strathcona Antique Mall probably closed for the afternoon so they could film this thing. Yeah, maybe. I mean, because you could always say they had people in there, but those they may have the people in there may have been pre-approved that signed NDAs. I don't know. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe it's just that's that's not how they do it. But that that would be my guess or something. Or maybe that antique mall just does not have a crossover in like the Venn diagram of Amazing Race Canada fans. But they've done the research. <laughs> I guess so. How many people are in any given antique mall at like 2.30 p.m. on a random Wednesday? So maybe maybe they didn't have to close it down. Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty big antique mall. I know it was a little hard to tell because, you know, they, they didn't. When you're inside, you can't really do that massive shot like they did the first week with the um, the giant area where they looked for the clues. But um, 
I don't know. I I enjoy when they make them kind of do different things. I mean, the John Bobblehead was silly, I will say. And um, mainly I enjoyed this just to watch people find their own John. But of course, you did have Trish and Amy finding which I actually found kind of amazing. There was a magazine that had something about the Olympics with John in the antique mall, but that they found that magazine. Should that have been a successful pick? I think that should have counted. That took a lot more effort than actually finding the bobblehead. Yeah. I mean, maybe John was holding like a little, sorry, mini John (laughs) (laughs) or or whatever they call it. Bobble, Bobby John (laughs) was holding a mini amazing race clue. So maybe it was something like that. Obviously, that was what they had to find. But it seemed a little vague. And while I don't think it played a strong role in the final result, it did kind of fool Megan and Marie where they thought they were not going to win the step challenge because they covered every inch of it. But what did you think of this? Do you like this as an extra thing to do? I think it's fine as an extra thing to do. I always like the sort of needle in a haystack type clues. But I will say... I think Amazing Race Canada is leaving money on the table because you go to ctv.ca right now, you are not immediately taken to a link to purchase a John Montgomery bobblehead. These were like custom made by one custom guy and nobody's mass producing them and putting them up for sale. And I think this is a huge missed opportunity because I feel like every other question we got this week was, where could I buy a John Montgomery bobblehead? I would buy a John Montgomery bobblehead. Yeah, because if you Google it, you actually get Jeff Montgomery bobblehead, Kansas City Royals, or some of these other ones where I'm like, no, I don't want to pay $35 for a Jeff Montgomery bobblehead. I'm sorry. Or Mike Montgomery of the Chicago Cubs. You know, it's not working. It's, yeah, I mean, if that was available right now, I would be buying it as we speak, just thinking about it. And it would sit here in my fancy podcast studio so I could talk to John while we did this, though. That might get a little distracting. So maybe maybe I shouldn't have one, actually. Maybe not. But I would be willing to pay $35 Canadian for a John Montgomery bobblehead. I'm just putting that out in the universe. So, you know, if somebody wants to get on that, let me know. Yeah, I mean, it should be. It's it's And even this John, if you really look closely, looked like him. But it actually is very similar to most like baseball bobbleheads you get where you're like, well, it looks like him. But it also looks a little weird. So this did kind of fit into that sort of like John but not completely. And John, of course, was having a ball with holding the bobblehead while giving the clue as which does not surprise me at all. It's this is right up his alley. He is thrilled to have a bobblehead of him. I'm surprised it wasn't more ginger. That would would have been my one gripe about it. Yeah, I I, that's what I was thinking. I was like, yes, hair looked a little just brown, like, you know, but not to pick on. It was it's always cool to see kind of those goofy things. And like we've said, John leans more into the dorky side of it. Um, and the show does in general a bit more than the U.S. Where Phil, I don't know, Phil, I think would enjoy it, but might also try to keep himself a little above the bobblehead and being that giddy about having it like John was. Can you imagine a Grant Bowler bobblehead? You can't because his head doesn't move. Yeah, no, it would be just like, and also they'd have to get that right facial expression, which was just like, I'm so over this. I want to go be on a TV show. I'm going to go star in a straight to sci-fi movie. You know, he had that look on his face like, I can't believe I'm hosting this show. So John is the opposite end of the spectrum of that. Indeed. I I can't wait to see how the new guy they got for Amazing Race Australia is going to do. Like, I would buy bobblehead of him as well. And I've only seen photos. So, yeah, I... (laughs) But I think, John, you're going to be hard pressed to find somebody that's like as into the goofy, giddy enjoyment of 
everything he does as John is. And that's why the bobblehead was the perfect likeness of him. Yeah. And we've, it says something we've talking more about John's bobblehead than we have about the detour and will likely also about the roadblock. I don't have anything to say about this roadblock. I mean, I flower arranging. It was, it was fine, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It's like basically when you do flower arranging, Jess, keep your station clean. That's all I can say. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess it was nice of nice of them to compel the racers to clean up after themselves and have that be part of the task, because I guess that probably saves some people at the Japanese garden a little bit of effort. But yeah, I, I don't know. I It feels like we had some tasks this this leg that were really like standing in for not being able to go abroad. And this was one of them. It was like, I, I think if they'd been doing this in Japan, I would have been less mad at it. Yeah. And even the, the choir that they had there, they were singing traditional South African music, which I thought was an interesting choice. So one thing, the leg did do a good job of showing, you know, multicultural side of Edmonton. And even you had Anthony and James being from Edmonton wearing their skirts, which I thought was a was a nice touch, too. But yeah. And actually, you think about it, usually the leg when they go internationally is like leg three or leg four. And that I think this goes back to what you talked about at the start about how the race often kind of finds its footing in legs two and three. And I think what they generally, the way that they sometimes get out of this early rougher patch or more, I hate to say generic, but you know, formulaic is they go overseas and then things go crazy. And when they come back, you're like, oh, this is still kind of crazy and teams are tired. So now it's going to be interesting of how the next few legs will go because of that. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point. And I wonder I wonder how much of this the racers knew as they were in it. Like, were they told at the top of the thing, at the top of the race before they even started, were they told, yeah, you're not going out of Canada? Or is everybody sitting at the beginning of every leg thinking, is this the one where we're going to go out of Canada? When are we going out of Canada? And I wonder, I wonder if that stressed them out at all. Yeah, it's interesting because you think about when the show usually is going to other countries, they do have to often secure visas and such for certain countries. This is especially the case with like U.S. where they go all over. But they end up sometimes, I think, they don't just get the ones or they don't just they don't line it up where the teams know where they're going. But teams often know they might go somewhere. And here, did they not even, I mean, who knows which country it would have been? Like, you don't have to have a visa if you go to Mexico or something. So it do they even they probably had to take their passport, but I don't know. Maybe they told them up front. This is just in Canada purposely to have it where teams don't get don't turn into the teams from the U.S. family edition and start saying they want to go to New Zealand or something. But it's hard to say for sure. They can always cut it like the Paulos, I believe, the mom. So um, they could cut it, I guess. But you don't want to have sour racers. That does not lead to a good show. Right. And it was already like I saw a lot of pushback on people who were putting Dave and Arena on blast for sour grapesing their one non-win by saying they'd already been to Spain. And I feel like you don't want more of that. So they must have they must have taken them off. Yeah, David Arena did win by getting first. No more express passes, thankfully. So that did not, or not thankfully, that did not continue. But they did win a trip to Casablanca, which that excited them. So maybe they haven't been there yet. Maybe not. Uh, or maybe they're just excited about winning. I, I could say either thing is plausible. Now, here's a question. Do you think maybe it's just like you only get an express pass if it's your first win? Uh, what if next week, like Megan and Marie win and they get an express pass? I would like to see that. Like everybody, the first time you win a leg, you get an express pass. 
I do like that. I think it's cool. I don't think it's going to happen, but but I like the idea of kind of making it like everyone has a shot and it really puts an onus on winning legs because a lot of times when the show is like pumping up the music and it's like, who's going to be first? Is it going to be this team or this team? And I'm thinking, you know, I really don't care. You know, it's like I care sometimes for a team that hasn't won that I like and it pumps them up and makes them feel like they can win. But when you get to teams that have won multiple legs or even a team that hasn't like this week, I didn't really care who finished first that much. And if you did something like that, it would put a big onus on it beyond winning another trip, which is cool, but not the same way. Yeah, it's not. The one thing I would say about it is there's some excitement around it because I'm really enjoying the hell out of David Arena this season. And I think their weird intensity and the energy that they bring to this race is going to be the thing we look back on next season when we're getting ready for Amazing Race Canada 8 and we're going to say, boy, I hope we have something as interesting as Dave and Arena were last season. Yeah, you need to have teams that bring a different energy to the show because the last season, especially teams were really generally positive and really, you know, in a good way. It, it made sense that the team that won was that really positive team. It kind of fit the season and not that everyone's not this time, but it's not only that they're kind of intense. Like, again, he's making like the punches and air punches when they're going down in the funicular next week. I don't even understand what the preview is showing that they're doing, but it's going to be fun. But I what I like about it is that, and I mentioned this before, they're intense, they want to win, but I don't get the impression the other teams don't like them. And that's the thing that I enjoy. I still feel like they're somehow doing it in a way where the team's sort of like, you know, they gave the express pass, which we should mention, to Anthony and James, and they they presented it. They chose the you helped us once option from the express reasons to give express pass multiple choice question. And um, But I thought that was a nice moment. You didn't get a sense that the other teams were just like, oh, thanks. We think you're jerks. So even though they are villains, they're not villains in the normal way. And they're just kind of goofy. I feel like I keep saying this, but they're also a bit dorky in a way. Like you wouldn't think that the world bare knuckle bucks boxing champion would seem to just enjoy kind of the goofiness of the show. But he seems to really be enjoying it. And her intensity is, is rather fun. Yeah, I think they're both having a blast. And I think it's also really telling that instead of Instead of just like making a big deal out of, oh, you know, we have this great advantage that we're going to bestow on somebody. They weren't self-important about it. They didn't make a big production out of it. They just like, oh, we got to give this to somebody and you helped us. And I think we've had a lot of people speculate on, well, why wouldn't you want to throw game disadvantages at Dave and Arena? And why aren't people gunning for them? And it's like, yeah, because they don't dislike them. I think everybody's having fun together. And I think just maybe Dave and Arena take it a little more seriously. And we're going to get some moments where there may be a little bit of imbalance in how intense people are about things. But I don't think that means that there's any kind of actual intense dislike for them. And I think it's so rare to have your villains also be people that you want to go really far. And I I think there a lot of the U.S. Amazing Race villains have been people like, oh, maybe this is the week they'll finally get rid of them. We can go back to having a normal, good sporting race. And here it's like, no, these guys, I want them to go all the way. I want them to fall just short. I want them to get the Colin and Christie 1.0 spot. Yeah. And also, I get a little nervous where if they got eliminated, um, not that the rest of the cast isn't good. I like a lot of the people, but I feel like this cast works with Dave and Arena in the group. 
Yep. Like the other teams bounce off of them really well. The niceness of some of the other teams, the goofiness of them works or even the more kind of straightforward, nice athleticism of Sarah and Sam. All of that works with Dave and Arena. If we go to the final six and they're gone, I go, oh, OK, Um, let's see. And so I don't I mean, I don't need them to win. It's like you, Jillian and Emmett were not like this, but that season really benefited from them going really far because they brought this weird energy to the show that none of the other teams had that season. And I think they didn't have to win, but by getting them to the end, basically it helped that season. And I think it's the same way here. You can have really nice teams. You can have funny teams. And then you can have this team that's kind of all of the above. And I cannot wait till they have a, a leg where they finish like six, not get eliminated, but they're going to just they're going to lose their minds if they end up if we ever get the currently in last place thing during a leg for them. Oh, boy, it's going to be fun. Jess. I, I hope so. I mean, for all of our sakes, not just because that's going to be more interesting to see how they react, but also because it's going to be a really boring slog if Dave and Arena are first place every leg until the leg that they either go out or win the whole thing. So I don't want that for us either. I want to see them have a little bit of a mixed bag as far as performance. I want to see them react to a variety of scenarios. But I think I have faith that this is what's going to happen. I think they are being set up to be the major characters this season. Whether that means that we're looking at a win for them or if they're going to come just short of a win or if they're out next week. I don't think they're out next week is what I'm saying. No, me neither. I think they're strong enough. And also, I feel like the edit has been the edit is not making them look terrible. And that's another thing, too. The edit is not making us root for their defeat. Like you said, it's not just who they are. It's also how they're being presented and they're dominating the screen time. Um, But so I think that's going to balance out more as we go this week. We actually saw a lot of the teams in the back. It was really the teams in the middle that did the funicular that then kind of just glided through those teams that finished three, four, five that we didn't see much of, which is kind of normal. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy to me that um, a team like Sam and Sarah that we thought were going to be just like running over everybody, like steamrollering them. They've been in the middle of the pack this whole time. Yeah, but I think they are still very dangerous team with a real potential because when we do see them, they're talking about it's a game. They use the one way they use. They work with other teams. They are they have real get to the final three and pass teams and win upside, I feel like. And I, I hate to say it because they're not on Team Dan, but um, I feel like they're going to be one of those teams that just kind of hangs out. And then all of a sudden they win two legs and you go, where do they come from? I don't know when that's going to happen, but I could see it. Yeah, I guess. But I'm I'm just surprised that not only are they finishing solidly middle of the pack every leg, but they're also when I'm naming teams in my head, like if I'm trying to go off the top of my head, like who haven't we talked about? Who's done this? Who's done that? It's like, oh, I've only named so there's nine, you know, there's eight teams left. I've only named seven teams. Who's that eighth team? And it's them. And I didn't see that coming either. No, this is very different. If you think about teams that have, you know, like a team that like a Gino and Jesse, which I know we bring up a lot, who even when they weren't winning legs, we saw a ton of in every episode, it seemed like, which is why I kind of spotlighted the fact that they were kind of robotic, where I'm not saying Sarah and Sam are robotic, but um, we're not seeing that kind of edit at all. And it's possibly because Dave and Arena have been so out front and then other teams like Anthony and James. And even Lauren and Joanne, we're seeing more of who are finishing in similar spots. Yeah, I guess it's hard to find your way when 
you're in a cast with characters as big as Dave and Arena. So maybe if you're just a little bit more subdued and you're not doing great, I think the minute they do great, we'll get to know them a little bit better. But right now they're just kind of there, I guess. Yeah. And we're, we're even seeing more like human side things for some of the other teams. Like we saw Megan and Marie with their do it for Jonesy for their mom, or we learned a lot about more about Amy and about her, you know, her, her hearing impairment, but also her kids. And so we're learning more about some of the other teams and Anthony and James too. So I don't know, maybe I'm just disagreeing with what I just said five minutes ago <laughs> as I think about it more. And maybe they're a fifth place exit. Okay. Bye kind of team. I hope not, but you just don't know. Yeah, the minute we start hearing about their pasts and all the stuff that they've overcome, that's the minute that they're going to go out. Next week. No. <laughs> if they start the know. leg with Sam and Sarah doing a talking head about Sam's long road back from injury, it's like, okay, bye-bye. <laughs> that would be a surprise, though. I think next week is probably not elimination or keep racing, considering yeah. we only started with 10. But we'll see. I hate to, I hate to assume, but I, I feel like we might be heading there. Um, should we do questions? Let's do some questions. And we had a couple of people ask us a couple of different ways, but I'll go with um, Sandra Connolly wants to know, if the double one-way was supposed to be blind, should John have asked the mat about using it when there was another team there? Will there be ramifications for Joanne and Lauren for fessing up? It's an interesting question. Actually, my daughter asked that question when he was doing that. My daughter who's 10 asked the same thing. She's like, well, what's he doing? He's not supposed to ask like that. And I was like, well, the one time there was only one team there and that was with Sarah and Sam. But yeah, the other time with Lauren and Joanne, I'm sure that John is trying to stir the pot a bit. And I guess teams could play dumb. The team could just say, yeah, I don't know what happened. I, I don't know. But it, before they even got to the mat, there was a moment when Trisha and Amy said, Trish and Amy were already asking, and I did notice how they asked Sarah and Sam, and Sarah and Sam conveniently said they didn't do it, but didn't mention they did another team. But um, but then they, Trish and Amy actually did have a moment where they said, oh, must have been Lauren and Joanne. So I wonder if it would, if John mentioning it really matters. I think John doing it is more for TV. I don't think them fessing up will have much things because I'm guessing, judging by the reactions of Trish and Amy, I'm guessing they grilled every team whenever they had a chance and they already knew before having anything to do with the mad who did it. Yeah, that is fair. I, I assume that there may be a little bit of fallout from it next leg, but I think it's probably already been freely discussed and everybody that wanted to know about it already did at that point. But still, it felt like kind of a rookie hosting mistake to start asking people about things that you're allowed to keep secret. Yeah, for sure. And it's not something we see very often. John is not Jeff Probst when he, at no. Tribal Council. He's typically just like, so are you having fun? And everybody's like, yeah, we are. Or he's like, yeah, it's pretty rough out there. And it's like, yeah. And we still see some of that. We saw that, you know, where he's he seemed very surprised that Artie and Thinesh were doing well. And I was like, John, they were two and a half hours ahead. That's not does really count, John. Don't don't be don't be forbidding this up. But yeah, so I do think he was just trying to kind of um, stir the pot. Doing a little bit of Jeff, a little bit of Phil, maybe, because Phil is always very uncomfortable doing it. But I think he's forced to either by his producers or just by knowing it's going to be good TV. Yeah, it's probably more that John's trying to inject some intrigue into it. And he's just he needs another seven seasons to really get into the groove of that. Yeah, he's getting there. Just wait. By the time we get to like some sort of all star season where there's actually more drama, probably. John will be like all the way in it and it'll be awkward and I may, may not love it. 
All right, let's look at some of the other questions here. This is always a good question to ask. I know it's come up before, but Ron Chan is asking us, now after three episodes, has our opinion changed for any of the teams compared to how you thought of them before the season started? So I don't want to overstate this, but is there any anyone that jumps out that we haven't really mentioned yet? You know, I, I think the one team that I would say this about is a team that we've already talked about in great detail, but Dave and Arena are so much more than I think I had expected out of them. I had thought they were going to be very intense. I assumed they would win a lot of legs, but I thought that we would probably not like them that much and the other teams would probably not really warm to them either, but that seems to really not be the case. They seem like fun people. I'd love to have a beer with them sometime and I'm really happy to see them continue to succeed. I think I think we've already gone over this quite a bit, but they, you know, they're they're making the entire season for me. Yeah, I agree. And I'm actually just looking at kind of the standings and how teams finished. And I hate to say beyond what we talked about, Sarah and Sam being the other one, teams are finishing this week. They finished about kind of where I figured they probably would. And I hate to nothing against Trish and Amy or Jill and Sean, who I feel like I've almost glossed over them getting eliminated. But um, those teams are kind of finishing generally where I thought they might. So I haven't been shocked given how this leg actually given, especially with the two teams being given the fast forward, Everything kind of went according to plan. So I guess I think next week when they go to a tougher environment is where we may see some more surprises. I'm always holding out hope that I will be surprised. And this this leg, I really, really was not. Unfortunately, no. So, um, so we got so many good questions. I'm trying to think of what else should we do here, Jess? Uh, Felipe wants to know, does John always introduce the task judge by name? I will say he does often like I even noticed in this leg he didn't always like once he called like the person the well, one he called the poet laureate he didn't give the name to which I thought was interesting you yeah. think he would have wanted to identify that but he does often name it where it'll be like Jim the fish man or you know, that was not this week I'm just that was a terrible example but or you just have you know he often does but even this time the flower master did not have a name either so I think it's a variety John does make more of a point to make a bigger deal about who's handing the clue and the people there are often great sports we've called out in past seasons some really great examples of excited people we haven't had a great one this season I feel like but I will say this is falling a bit into the 101, but kind of a mild one. I'd say yes, but not every time. Yeah. I think he does it a lot more than Phil does, which is why it stands out. I think it's that whole idea of make Canada proud. It's almost like the judges or the clue people are more part of the show because especially when we're in Canada, you're kind of, um, it's just continuing that trend of, we're, we're spotlighting the show, Canada's greatest summertime adventure, the whole deal. Yeah. And it's like, here are the people of Canada who are coming together to help put together this race. Yeah. And so I wanted to bring this up because we had a question from John Ottaviano and it, it was addressed to you. So I cannot answer this question. Oh, Jessica, have we, that's what it said, Jessica, Jessica, have we seen grandparent grandchild teams on U.S. Amazing Race? He asks me because I'm the reason that he got into RHAP in the first place uh, because John and I are friends going way back. So that's it's nothing personal, Dan. I I guarantee (laughs) it. I don't I don't take it personally. I just found it funny. (laughs) Yeah. So there have been two grandparent grandchild teams on U.S. Amazing Race before. Um, Most notably uh, in season 12, we had Nick and Don, who were a grandfather and grandson. Um, 
and I think they were 72 and 24 and they rocked it. They made the finals. I was rooting for them going into the finals and it was it was really amazing to see them go deep into the race. And it was kind of a shame that they've never been asked back. Um, and then we had a grandmother and granddaughter, I think, two or three seasons later that did not do quite as well. So it's there's some precedent there, but it is kind of an unusual pairing. And I think it's a it's a pairing that you automatically want to root for because you want to see a team succeed when there's that kind of a generation gap, especially since there's usually a good story behind it. Yeah, and I enjoyed them. I liked them as a team and um, saw they weren't very similar. I mean, Jill and Sean to Nichols and Donald. Nichols and Donald just kind of drifted through the race like it was nothing for the most part. I mean, I'm not sure about their finish, but they were, you know, they again seemed to be good as almost anything. We we referenced this in the preview in our preview of the season. Donald's favorite Donald's famous moment of trying to do the pole vault across the river in in the Netherlands, which again was similarly done in this season of the U.S. version, though no way was as entertaining as his. But I don't really want to just spotlight that. They were a really fun team. The other team only lasted two legs, Jody and Shannon. And so that that is one that didn't come up as memorably. But um, I like it, like we've talked about, when they have different relationships on this show. I love parent-child teams. Some of my favorite teams from the past have been parent-child teams. So I say more power to them. I think, though, it was a situation where given the just the difference in ages that um, they were unlikely to win. But it, given the precedent for Amazing Race 12, it's not completely unheard of that Jill and Sean, if their luck was a little better, might have done okay. Yeah, I mean, they they could hang. I don't think it, it didn't feel like they were automatically the first team out. Like We have looked at casts of Amazing Race Canada before and we've said that team is definitely the first team out and we have been correct. So we didn't do this for them. And I don't think it was a given that they were going to be out early. I agree. And I after last week when they finished third, I thought they had a good chance to last for a while. But like we've talked about, this leg did not do them any favors. Um, I liked this question from Matthew Bayless. He said, what happens if another shopper in the antique mall tries to buy the bobblehead, John? It's a great question. And I also wondered something that I thought of that we hadn't talked about. I assume there were a bunch of Johns because at first they kind of make it seem like there's one John that they all have to find, but they kept finding Johns in different places. So my thought is there was plenty of Johns. So either I assume one of two options here, Matthew. One, there were more Johns than they needed. So worst case, if someone grabbed one and tried to buy it, even if they couldn't, that, you know, it didn't didn't come up. Two is that they did not allow them to buy it. Three is that the people in the actually it's more than two options. Excuse me. Three is that the people in the antique mall were actors or were cast or not really there to shop. So no one was actually buying anything but the teams. And of course, four is they sold it and the show helped to pay for their budget. So which one is it? I, I like that they sold it and it helped to pay for the budget. But it's interesting, Dan, there was a great thread on Reddit this week. Uh, someone kind of gamed this out and they talked a lot about how when you are doing a task that involves finding an object and there's only a finite number of objects, that this task actually gets exponentially harder the later you arrive there. So how hard this task was for, say, Jill and Sean really hinges on how many more Johns there were in there than racers in the race. So if there were like 
just one for every team and you had to find like that one John in the entire antique mall, that's much, much harder than if there's like five or six lurking around once you get there. So there's a lot of variance on how hard that task could possibly be. Yeah. And I think that's most likely that they had like eight Johns just to do that. And and that's that's the problem. You saw it. Megan and Marie had such a hard time. I think they arrived sixth, but left seventh from that task. And then it couldn't have helped Jill and Sean again. But um, the top team seemed to be able to roll through it pretty quickly. And again, we're relying on the editing. I have no idea how long it takes and on people's kind of um, reactions to being there. And it did seem like Dave and Arena, though they had some funny moments, were pretty pumped and pretty happy. Nobody seemed frustrated until the last few teams. Yeah, I mean, that's how you can tell if a leg is hard. If somebody is storming around saying, this is impossible. I can't believe we can't do this. I'm so frustrated. Should we take a penalty? You could kind of guess that that's a harder leg than a leg where everybody's just kind of skipping through it. Yeah, I agree. It's and we didn't see that much here. Even the worst was Megan and Marie, but they didn't seem nearly as frustrated even as last week. So it was a case where, yes, they had to do a flight. And then this leg was probably, I don't know, a couple hours, maybe a little longer, but depending on how much travel they did. But it felt like one of those two hour legs or something, which is not going to wear you out, especially after basically you just start and get on a plane. You're starting. I think they were starting around, if I remember correctly, it wasn't at a crazy time. So hopefully this is setting us up for next week and a really hard leg, which sometimes the show likes to do kind of an easier one than a harder one. So maybe we're getting set up for some craziness in Yellowknife, which they have been there before. Yeah, that's true. But there's no shortage of things to do up there. I think that's a really interesting area of Canada. One I always hope they explore a little bit more. So Dan, there's one final comment I really want to bring some attention to. I think you know which one I'm talking about here. Um, I think we have to we have to note the shout out we got from Julian Lowell, which um, I was really thrilled to hear from them. Um, they have a personal connection to this leg of the race. Um, they note Hotel McDonald at the top of this week's detour is where Lowell proposed to Julie. Special memories connected to Amazing Race Canada and Edmonton and the Fairmont Hotel McDonald will always have a special place in our hearts, as will the Amazing Race Canada. Yes, I oh, I, I love Julie and Lowell. I hope that if when they do at some point some type of all-star returning player season, I hope I would assume they would be part of it. And I hope they are and they're able to do it. Because, you know, not only did they have challenges just given, you know, given his eyesight and everything, but they also were so much fun. And that that really we had so much fun on the podcast talking about them and they had they were such good sports. And it's great that to hear that they're still so invested in the show and um, and talking about it and had a good connection. So Julian Lowell, you guys are awesome. Yeah, I'm always happy to hear what they're up to. And yeah, someday when we have an Amazing Race Canada All-Stars, we got an extra spot fill to fill because we don't have Jed and Dave to kick around anymore. So, <laughs> oh, who knows? You know, I don't think they would do it. But, you know, I, get, I still give about a 10% chance of Jed and Dave being in there. But I think it, it was about 100% before this season. Yes, indeed. So, Dan, are there any other questions we want to tackle? I don't think so. I think we've done. I mean, we had a lot of questions about the step task, but I think we covered that like we talked about. We probably covered that more than even was necessary. But um, and the and all the other questions were mostly about the one way. And I think I think we covered it well. And I also think it's coming up again. So we're going to get to really 
dive in, hopefully, to a better example of the strategy when it comes up the second time. Yeah, we'll we'll be able to determine a little bit with a little bit more discernment whether or not it's a total waste of our time. I hope it's not. I still I still like this cast a lot, and I know we were a bit down on this episode, but I think we've had plenty of cases in the past where we've had a kind of a clunker or two, and then we've had an episode, and I've been like, this is my favorite thing ever, and I'm hoping that's going to come soon. Yeah, I'm hoping so too. So there is one more question I want to talk about before we put this all to bed, and that is the number one most frequently asked question that we get here at the Amazing Race Canada Rehab is how do I watch The Amazing Race Canada if I myself do not live in Canada? And I don't know why you're still listening to this podcast if you haven't figured out ways to get at this by now. But I would feel remiss if I did not suggest to you that the very best way to get direct access to episodes of The Amazing Race Canada when you yourself are not Canadian is to become a patron of Rob Has a Podcast because RHAP patrons receive a number of amazing perks, including access to a secret patron-only Facebook group where people are frequently sharing their strategies for tracking down Amazing Race Canada, as well as sometimes even direct links. Um, Usually those links get posted in the group shortly after each episode airs, and that's how I've been catching it most of the time this season. So many thanks to the intrepid patrons who are sharing those links for us. We really appreciate it. So if you like our podcast, I hope you have subscribed. You can find new episodes of this podcast in the Reality TV Rehap Ups feed or in the Amazing Race feed for Rob Has a Podcast and any podcatcher you use. Um, we love getting feedback and ratings from all of our listeners, and there's lots of ways to let us know how you liked us. You can leave us a review in the iTunes store or podcatcher of your choice, which helps us out, helps other people find the podcast. You can leave a comment on the page for this episode on robhaswebsite.com, or you can find us on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Haymaker Hattie. And Dan, where are you? I am at the Dan Heaton, and I want to quickly mention that if you like hearing me on this podcast, I do a podcast about theme parks and Walt Disney World and Disneyland called the Tomorrow Society Podcast. It's an interview show, and you can learn more at TomorrowSociety.com. That's fantastic, Dan. I'm really enjoying your deep dive into all the behind the scenes stuff at the various Disney parks. Um, it is really a joy to listen to, and I'm a patron of that myself. So definitely check that out if you like the dulcet tones of Dan's voice. Um, in my world, I'm writing some pieces for primetimer.com. I have a new one going up next week, but um, if you are watching Stranger Things and you're wondering a little bit about the new character Robin as played by Maya Hawk, I did a little bit of a profile on who is Maya Hawk and what else she's been up to and that's over at primetimer.com under features and that was a lot of fun we also did some kind of pre-coverage before the emmy nominations came out where we kind of suggested people and projects that we'd like to see get recognized and a couple of the projects that we gave some love to also got some love for the emmys so that was very exciting um don't forget to check out everything else that's happening in the rob has a podcast universe our coverage of big brother continues apace with daily updates and we are also covering many many other shows including bachelorette survivor south africa are you the one over on post show recaps there's some stranger things coverage there's big little lies and Josh Wiggler and I are getting together next week to talk a little bit Fear of the Walking Dead, as well as a little bit of the news that's come out of the Walking Dead comics world. And I would imagine the season 10 trailer that just dropped. We're going to have some things to say about that as well. So 
that's our show. I'd like to thank Van Heaton, as always, for joining me on this incredible Canadian journey. Rob Sesternino for giving us a platform. Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. All of the patrons of Rob has a podcast and all of our listeners. Take care, everyone. We'll see you right back here next week.